Um, this morning, we're coming back to the book of Genesis. We've been kind of traveling through this book kind of off and on. It's been an off and on relationship with Genesis with our church over, over the last several years. I, I looked back, uh, and the, the first sermon on Genesis was 2013, May of 2013. You know how long that sermon was, by the way? An hour and three minutes or something like that. It was ridiculously long, which might be why we're finishing with a different church than what we started with. But, uh, you know, uh, anyways, but, but we're in Genesis 46, and here's what I want to talk to you about today. I really feel like that my purpose here this morning and, and with taking the text where we're at is to talk about what it means to be blessed by God, what it means to be blessed by God. Do we know what being blessed by God really means, and uh, are, we, are we pursuing the blessing of God? Now, when you think about the word blessing, the Bible kind of uses it, in, and I mean this broadly, the Bible kind of uses the word blessing kind of like we use the word success or successful. We talk about in modern society, you know, what is a successful life, and what, what does it mean to be successful, and, and let's pursue success in our life, right? And the Bible uses the word blessing, and so there is that kind of common kind of connection between the word success and blessing. However, it kind of stops there because what the world considers success, what the world considers blessing, what the world considers kind of the ultimate life is oftentimes different than how God considers success, the way God looks at blessing in life. And so the, what we're trying to do is we're trying to pursue success or blessing as God defines it, as God uh, uh, puts borders around it, as God thinks about blessing. And so when we, when we begin to think about, about it like that, we realize quickly that we got a few different, few different problems, or at least I've got a few different problems when it comes to blessing from God in my life. Number one, I've got an aiming problem sometimes. You know, I've, I've always said to you that if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Can I get an amen? You know, if you have no target, if, if, if your life is just kind of randomly being lived, if you're just kind of, just kind of you know, making it up as you go, which I tend to kind of get into that position, then you're going to have a problem. And when the Bible begins to talk about the potential of blessing, the one thing that we have to say is that it means that God wants us to direct our life, to aim our life at what he has for us, at what he wants us to have. He wants us to be thoughtful and intentional and creative in our imagination and in the way we think about blessing. He wants us to aim at blessing. Are you aiming at blessing? I'm hoping that today's sermon and Genesis will help us to aim, to get a target. But here's the second thing. Sometimes I struggle with the target itself. Sometimes I am intentional about my life, but I'm, I'm pointing at the wrong target. I'm looking at the wrong definition and I'm going down a road that is the wrong road to be going down for so many people, in our, especially in our culture and in the world, this has always been a problem with human beings, is, is that people think about, uh, people think about uh, uh, hey, I want to be, uh, I'm a type A person, I'm going to be driven, I'm going to really go after what God, or what I want to go after, but sometimes we're going after the wrong things as the ultimate things. Isn't that true? Here's the third problem, though, some of us have, and sometimes I have, a rejoicing problem. 
Maybe I have exactly. Maybe I have more than I thought I had. Maybe God has given me more in Christ than I, I realized, and, and I'm not rejoicing in it. I'm not celebrating it. I'm, I'm so distracted by other temporary things. This morning, for example, you know, I had, to, I had to refocus my mind. You know what happened this morning? I took Sherry Baby's key to the minivan, and the problem with that is we've only got one key to the minivan, which means she can't get to church without the key to the minivan. So I had to find somebody to go give Sherry the key to the minivan so she could come to church with the girls. Now, that is a distraction, right? And I could, in that moment, go, I'm not a very blessed person. But, you know, I have to stop and say, you know what, I'm still blessed even when I do something like a knucklehead would do, which is take the the minivan key, right? The Bible says this, that God is able to do above and beyond all we could ever ask for or imagine. C.S. Lewis says that, that when we really think about the promises of God and all that we have in Christ Jesus, we blush because it's more than we thought. And the question is, are we pursuing all that God has? And when we get it and when we're receiving it, are we realizing it and rejoicing in it and taking out those deposits that God has already given to us? Or are we so distracted by things that we think are more important, which aren't? You see, that's the issue. And what this sermon is, is this sermon is about seeking, receiving, and rejoicing in God's blessing for your life. Are you seeking God's blessing? Are you receiving God's blessing? Are you rejoicing in God's blessing? And so I'm going to give you some points to kind of think through as we look at the story of Joseph, where we left off. Now, where do we live off? When we come to Genesis 46, where we left off is that Joseph and his brothers have been reconciled. The brothers are treated just as bad. It was really bad. They thought he was long dead. They find out he's alive. And the brothers go from Egypt, having been reconciled to Joseph, and they go to Jacob. And Jacob, of course, has been grieving. Everybody say grieving. He's been in deep grief. And the reason why Jacob's been in deep grief in Genesis is because he imagines that Joseph, his most favored son, the son he gave the multicolored coat to, he's imagined that Joseph is dead. Well, the brothers come to him and say, Joseph is not dead. He's alive. Hallelujah. And at the end of chapter 45, you almost get like a resurrection response. You know, it says that Jacob's heart was numb when he found out Joseph was alive. And then it says he was revived. And then the brothers say, now, in the midst of all of this famine, we need to go and see Joseph. We're going to take you to Joseph, your beloved son, and you're going to be reunited and you're going to rejoice. And so Jacob gets all of his stuff. And of course, Jacob's a really old guy and he gets all of his stuff and he gets the sweet daddy chariot that Pharaoh sent for him so he could ride in comfort. And he's going back and he's leaving the promised land and going back to see Joseph, his beloved son. And you can imagine as a, as a parent, can you imagine what it would be like if you thought a child of yours was dead. And then you find out that that child is alive. And you're on your way to be reunited after 20 years. How, what, what that must feel like. And so that's where we're at emotionally and, and narratively in Genesis 46. And look at verse 1. It says, so Israel, which is the God's name for Jacob, is Israel. So Israel took his journey. With all that he had, and came to Beersheba, and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. 
And I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I also will bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Now, what's happening here? As Jacob is leaving the promised land, the land that God had given Abraham, Isaac, and himself, he comes to the southernmost border of the promised land, which is Beersheba. In the Old Testament, the promised land is defined in its northern part as Dan, and the southernmost part of the promised land is Beersheba. And despite Jacob's, no doubt, excitement about going to see Joseph, no doubt being reunited to his son, he stops at the border, at the southernmost border, and he worships God. And the reason why he worships God is, number one, because he's, he's a changed man. But the other reason why he worships God is because he's nervous. And the reason why he's nervous is because he knows that Isaac and Abraham were told never to leave the land of promise that God had given to him. And he imagines himself as being now the patriarch of these great covenant promises that God has, not only for himself, but for the whole world. And he's wondering, would it be an act of faithlessness to leave the promised land? And he worships there. That's why God says, do not be afraid. Because you're going to go to Egypt and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I am going to allow you to go and be reunited to Joseph. And not only that, I'm going to use you leaving the land of promise to make a great nation and to fulfill all of my covenant promises for you. Now, why is that significant? I'll tell you why that's significant. When we met Jacob as a young guy, and for those of you, you might be new around here, if you read Genesis, here's what you're going to find when you read about Jacob. He is a deeply flawed young man when we first met him, isn't he? Remember that? He just, you know what he does? He takes what he wants. He just does whatever he wants. He manipulates and steals and, 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 and tricks people into getting his own blessing, tricks people into taking what he wants. When he's a young man, we look at him and we kept saying over and over every week, didn't we, here at Crosspoint, Jacob, dude, why are you so messed up? Why do you keep messing up? You're just so young and stupid. But now the old man Jacob, after all he's been through, is now self-aware and spiritually aware enough to say, the most important thing in my life is not to get the thing I most desire, which is to be reunited with Joseph. The most important thing in my life is to stop and to ask, is this God's will? Is God ultimate right now? Should I leave the land of promise, even though that's what I want the most? I want the most to be reunited with Joseph, but I'm going to stop here and worship God. And he needed God to tell him in a vision, you can go. Now, let me tell you something. When it comes to blessing, are you seeking, receiving, and rejoicing in blessing from God? Let me give you the first point. The source of blessing is God, period. God is the source of blessing. And we cannot say we are blessed people until we become a people who are submitted to the goodness and the supremacy of God in our life. God is the source of all blessing. And we might have material things. By the way, Jacob, Isaac, Abraham, the patriarch family, rich, always rich. They always had a house. They always had a big driveway. They always had a four-car garage. They always had all of the outward things that the world says, that's a blessing. But the one thing they didn't have and that they struggled with was worshiping God as the priority in their life. And here, that is fixed, and that is real blessing for a human being. When we can come to God and say, God, 
I want your will. I've got a plan. My wife has got a plan. My children have plans. My parishioners have plans. But what is your plan? Because God is the source of blessing. When I was going to Moody Bible Institute, the president of the college at that time was a guy by the name of Joseph Stoll. And we love Joseph Stoll. I mean, this guy, he's just, he's great. And we were like, now there, that guy's got all the secrets to ministry. You know what I mean? Like, he has probably got so much wisdom, and you just want to talk to Dr. Joseph Stoll about how to be a pastor, how to preach, how to, how to be a great leader in the church, because he was the man, the man. And one time, he decided to get all of us together, and he decided, as, and he, all of us married couples that were going to Moody at the time, his wife took the wives into one room, and then he took us uh, men into another room, and he said, I'm going to talk to you about ministry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you about important principles for ministry. And so you know what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, mega church, here I come. Because this guy's going to teach me some important stuff about how to be a preacher and a pastor. Here we go. And he gets us all in the room and he says, I'm going to give you the most important practice of your ministry. You know what the most important practice of your ministry as a pastor is? Take good care of your wife. He said, because one day you're going to get sick of being a pastor. One day your church is going to get sick of you being their pastor. One day they're going to look at you and say, you had a good ride, you had a good run, you preached your sermons, and you're going to have to walk away from the very thing that you were called to do. And your kids are going to be gone, and everybody's going to be gone, and the only person that's going to be there at the end, after it's all done, and nobody cares anymore about how you preach or what your sermons are about, the only person that's going to be there is your wife. And if you invest in your marriage now, that will, that, listen, that will reap dividends beyond measure when you're done with ministry because you'll have a great relationship with your wife. And that stuck. That stuck. And from that day to now, I've not always been perfect. I've tried to make sure I was investing in my marriage and making sure that my marriage was a priority over ministry. And what's that got to do here? I would say the same thing in our relationship with God. How important it is that we invest in our relationship with God Because you know what? When all of the little stuff of life and the temporary problems and the circumstances that don't go right or the circumstances that do go right, all of that's temporary. But when it's all said and done, the person you're going to meet at the very end is God. And the question is, are you worshiping him at the borders of your life? The question is, are you going to him? Because he is the source of blessing. And by the way, let me just say this. This is unprepared. Let me say this. God is the blessing, isn't he? He not only gives us the blessing, he is the gift and the giver. He is the whole thing. If you've got God and nothing else, you've got everything you need. If you have everything else but you don't have God, you've got nothing. Because everything else is just like passing away. It's a chasing after the wind. It's it's futile. The source of blessing is God. And I think it's a remarkable, poignant moment in the life of Jacob when he stops and God says, don't be afraid. Go and I'll be with you. And at that very moment, then Jacob was ready to cross that line out of the promised land. And he takes his whole family, takes 70, uh, he takes the whole embryonic form of the 
future nation of Israel. And 70 persons, his wives, his grandkids, his kids, everybody goes with him. And they all leave this famine kind of wasteland of the promised land. And they go down to Egypt to be reunited with Joseph. And so let me read that reunion with Joseph as we move on. Look at um, uh, Genesis 46 and verse 28. Here's, here's how it goes. So he goes, you can imagine this reunion, they see each other from a far distance, and here it is in verse 28. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Now I want to point out, and for some of you this might be a little frustrating. You might think I'm stretching this a little bit, but I don't think I am. I'll leave it to you to to be the judge and to be appropriately critical of the sermon. Appropriately critical of the sermon. But it says here in verse 29, he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Now, isn't that exactly right? Isn't that exactly what would happen? I mean, that's just a human moment. They haven't seen each other for 20 years, and they come together, and they brace each other, and it says they wept a while on their neck. That's so, that's so pictorial, isn't it? Isn't that what happens when you're grieving with somebody, or you're, you're being reunited with somebody after a long while, and, and, and you just fall on their neck? Some, some of us, when, when we go to heaven and we live with Jesus, we're going to be reunited with family members, aren't we? And we, we can imagine what that's going to be like, like just embracing and falling on the neck, and, and, and weeping together, and, 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 and just weeping. Weeping at the reunion, you know what I call that? I call that appropriate emotions. Amen. That's an, an appropriate emotional response. In fact, I call that a proportionate emotional response or emotional intelligence. Now, I'm using that as a background to, to point out another distinction between young man Jacob and old man Jacob. And young man Jacob, I mean, again, every week we were like, dude, what are you doing? And do you remember how lacking in emotional intelligence he had? He had no emotional intelligence. The things that he got excited about were the least worthy things to get excited about. And the things he didn't get excited about were the very things he should have been excited about. We remember when his daughter was raped. Remember when his daughter was raped? And, you know, he was so passive. He was so like... Yeah. And his sons were like, we're going to nuke earth because our sister has been raped. And remember the emotional kind of, it's just kind of all wacky, the emotional engagement with life. And here, Jacob, finally we see a man who is emotionally engaged to the correct proportion of the circumstances. And you're like, what's that got to do with blessing? You know, many of us define blessing by good feelings, don't we? You know, if I have good feelings, then I'm blessed. Like, how are you doing today, Paul? And if you're feeling good today, you might say, I'm blessed. And you mean, I feel good. Or you might ask me the same thing. Like, how are you doing today? I'm blessed today. And what I mean by that is I feel good today. I'm, I'm feeling good. I would define, though, and I would say this, that the emotions of blessing is not necessarily good feelings. It's appropriate feelings to the moments of life. 
It is the ability and the insight to know when to laugh, to know when to weep, to know when to feel sorrow, to know when to engage life. And what I find in my own life and what I've been taught by my culture is that to avoid all uncomfortable feelings because that's not blessing. But in fact, the way God defines blessing emotionally is, are you, are you responding to reality in life correctly? And if you have the ability to respond emotionally to life correctly, then you're a very blessed person because you're seeing the world as God sees it. You're seeing the world and experiencing it as you should emotionally. I think about it, Ecclesiastes, you know what Ecclesiastes says? There's a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. There's a time for rejoicing and there's a time for sorrow. Jesus said, listen to this, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Jesus literally defined blessing as those who mourn. What did he mean by that? The ability to really feel the burden of the world appropriately. You know, before I was a Christian and even after I've been a Christian, even as a pastor, some of my weakest moments in life and in relationships is getting angry about stupid stuff. How many of y'all do that? Do you get angry about stupid stuff? Just like stuff that you're like, I won't even remember this tomorrow, and I'm really upset about it. You know what I mean? Like OU losing by like 50 points yesterday. Ooh. And it was Sherry Baby's birthday yesterday, and I had to be really good, and I was struggling. You know what I mean? And then there's things that... There's things that I should be excited about that I don't get excited about. Guys, I am a forgiven man because of Jesus Christ. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And you know what? I am blessed when I can come to church and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and I have at least close to an appropriate response to that salvation. But oftentimes I don't. And there's people walking around who should feel burdened about things that they see and they don't. And they should ignore things that they're getting all excited about that they shouldn't. And I would say that a blessed person emotionally is when you can look at reality and see it for what it is and have an appropriate, proportionate response to it. And I think emotions in Genesis is a a very um, unstudied uh, motif and theme in the book of Genesis. And you want to know why? I'll tell you why. Because religion says you should never even be worried at all about emotions. In fact, religion tells us that we shouldn't feel any emotions at all, that we should be stoic, that we should be almost kind of this godly indifference to experiences of life. But then the world does the very opposite thing, doesn't it? It says you should feel all these great emotions and avoid all the bad stuff. And by the way, our little kids, keep them from any kind of moments of sadness or sorrow. Remember that movie Inside Out? I really like that movie from Pixar because the, the, kind of the bottom line of that story is that, the, is that the kid needed to feel sadness. And Joy was trying to keep sadness from her. And finally at the end, Joy kind of steps aside from, from the center of this little girl's life so that she could experience sadness. And the moment she feels sadness for what she should be sad about, that's the breakthrough moment in her her life. And I feel like that's what God wants to give us as believers. He wants to give us breakthroughs by having appropriate motions to life. And you know what we can do? We can ask God, God, help me. Help me with my emotional life. Help me feel not just good things, but the things I should feel. I've seen, I've done as a pastor, 
I have, by the way, and you're going to think this is the most morbid thing I've ever said, but I have the blessing of doing funerals. And it's a true honor and a privilege to walk with the family as they're going through grief. But you know, when I see real people, just real regular folks, folks just like you and me at funerals, I mean, it's like there are some people you look at and you go, man, if they could, they would run so far away from this place. I mean, yeah, they just look terrified. And, and we all say, oh, I don't, I don't want to grieve. I don't want to do all. I just want to celebrate. I don't, I don't want to feel sad. It's like, dude, the Bible says it's good to go to the house of mourning. And it's good to grieve. Some of you need permission to grieve. But isn't it encouraging that God cares about our emotions? You know, all of us probably on some level have experienced depression before, and, and we know what depression is. It's the very thing I'm talking about, the inability, right? I've experienced that on some level. Some more than others experience depression. And isn't it encouraging that you can go to the book of Psalms, and there's David being, deep, being totally depressed in the presence of God and giving and trusting his emotions to God, saying, this is the way I feel, help me. At times, David said, rejoice, O my soul. Like, what are you doing? Like, like, feel something different because what I'm feeling now, it just isn't correct to the, to the response. There's encouragement here. God cares about our whole life, our mind, our hearts, our emotions, our will. He cares about every aspect of us. And to be blessed is when we can trust all of those areas to his life and begin to grow emotionally, begin to grow with proportionate emotions. Well, once they're reunited, it's, it's just this great thing. And, and, and what happens then is what Joseph's got to do uh, once he's with, uh, with Jacob and what Joseph has to do for Jacob and ultimately his brothers to get him settled in the land of Goshen. Joseph has to go before Pharaoh and request Pharaoh to give them the land that they need. And he's got to convince Pharaoh ultimately, like, here's my big family. They're 70 strong right? And, and they're these shepherds, and they're not going to be urban dwellers. They're not going to take over the politics of Egypt. They just need to come and, and be able to feed their, 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 their cattle. You know, they need to be able to bring their animals so that their animals can live in this time of famine. And so he's got to convince Pharaoh that, uh, that, that, uh, that, that, that his family is not a danger. And so what Pharaoh does is he, he grants what Joseph wants. He says, yeah, you know, I'm going to give you the land. You're going to have the land of Goshen. Your brothers, your family can go and they can herd and shepherd and everything like that. And then there's this moment when Joseph wheels in the elderly Jacob into Pharaoh's presence, right? And let me read that to you. Jump down to Genesis 47 and verse 7. It says, then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. You can imagine the contrast. Here's mighty Pharaoh, Egypt. He's got the stuff, bling, bling. And then you got this old, kind of hungry, uh, uh, patriarch guy. And he's kind of wheeled in there, and he can, he's blind, you know, and he's just old and decrepit, you know, the whole thing. And then you got Pharaoh, you know. And, and I love this. It says that Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, you know, it's kind of this sweet question. How many are the days of the years of your life? You can imagine like, hello there, old man. How are you? You know, how, you know, and Jacob's like, Jacob's like got gravitas. I mean, he just, he said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And no doubt he has had a harsh life from some, some of the consequences for his own 
decisions. And, and they have not attained the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And it says a second time, Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. So here's what happens. Old man Jacob comes in. He's wheeled in in a wheelchair. And he says, I bless you. And Pharaoh's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how old are you? What's up with your life? And my life had difficulty. And then he said, no, seriously, I bless you. And Pharaoh's like, okay. What ends up happening? Now, here's what ends up happening. Joseph, right after this, purchases all of the land of the, of the famished Egypt and gives it over to Pharaoh. Pharaoh ends up owning everything in Egypt. This would be like, not to terrify you, be like Donald Trump owning all real estate. Everything. And everybody cannot own. You can only lease because he owns everything. Because of Joseph and the patriarch family, remember what God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And when Pharaoh grants to the the covenant family land to the brothers and to Jacob, Jacob says, I bless you. And consequently, Pharaoh gets everything because God keeps his promises, doesn't he? God is faithful. But here's the real application of being a covenant child of God in Christ Jesus. The real blessing is not being blessed. The real blessing is being a blessing. You remember what Jesus said in Acts chapter 20, verse 35? It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And young man Jacob, we remember young man, we're like, dude, Jacob, when he was young, here's Jacob all strutting around before wheelchair days, you know what I mean? And he's like, I'm going to go take all the blessings I can for my life. I'm going to make everything about me. I'm going to go take what I want, and I'm going to take the woman I want, and I'm going I'm to go do everything I want to do because to be blessing means to take in life. But now old man Jacob realizes a very critical point to blessing, that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. He realizes that the real blessing in life is generosity. The real measure, how, how can I measure if I'm really blessed? How can I measure if I'm really seeking and rejoicing in God's blessing? How can I really evaluate and critique myself? Am I walking in blessing? Am I a blessed person? And you can measure it this way. Do you have a generous heart? Are you growing in generosity? The sign of blessing is when you can be a blessing. The sign of blessing is when you find such sufficiency in God. Such sufficiency in his goodness. And it's salvation that everything you have is like an open, it's like, it's like receiving in an open hand the blessings of God and never having a tight grip on those blessings, but letting those blessings come right in and through your hands. And the moment you do that, that's both a sign and that's both the way to seek blessing in your life. You're like, but how can I, how can I really evaluate on a real practical level whether I'm walking in generosity and whether I'm being um, like Jacob, you know, and growing in this area, because none of us are perfect in this, right? I mean, none of us are going to wake up after this sermon tomorrow and go, man, I'm a perfectly generous person. Um, But how can I evaluate? And I heard something really interesting from a guy by the name of Tim Keller, really smart Presbyterian guy. And, and Tim Keller said this, you can evaluate how you're doing with generosity in two ways. Let me give those to you really quick. Seek 
Receive and rejoice in God's blessing. Here's two ways you can know if you're walking in generosity. Number one, can you be around people with a lot of stuff and possession and not be envious or jealous or intimidated by those people who have possessions? Can you just go over to somebody who has a big mansion, has every car that you ever dreamed of as a kid to have, and go, I'm... I'm really, I can, I can be happy for this person, and I'm not coveting, I'm not envious, I'm not, I, I am able to be around stuff that other people have that I've always wanted, and I'm okay with it. I'm at peace. That's when you know you, you've had a generous heart. That's when you know you're walking in the sufficiency of God is when you can do that. Because that's a really, isn't that a hard thing to do? In fact, it's hard not to, it's hard to like dislike people who have a lot of things, isn't it? It's like, yeah. I guess I'm speaking anyways. Uh, you're like, man, that's very insightful, Pastor. Uh, but here's the second thing, and this is the other way you can learn. Can you be around somebody who doesn't have nearly as much as you do? Nearly as much. You clearly have more house, more car, more blessing. Can you be around people who don't have nearly as much and not feel superior to that person? You know, like, like, well, it's really good to be me compared to this person since I have two cars and a home and things like that, right? And if those two realities, if you can do those two things, that's a sign that you're walking in the blessing of God. And think about that in contrast to the way the world defines success, the way people think about blessing. It's, it's so much more relational in how we're dealing with each other than it is about what we got in our pockets and in our backyard and on our porches and things like that, you know? Generosity is the measure of blessing. Let's see how much time, how much further I can go. Okay, I still got time. And so, so Jacob blesses Pharaoh, and, and Pharaoh therefore consequently is blessed. And, and, and so then we come to a part where Jacob not only blesses Pharaoh, but he begins to bless everybody. He, he blesses Joseph and, and his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And, and this is the poignant part. Towards the end of Jacob's life, as he's, as he's nearing the end and he's about to die, he meets his his. Unknown, he's never met his grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who are the sons of Joseph. So you can imagine he's meeting his grandkids for the first time, and, and he brings them in, and he, and he wants to bless Joseph and bless his sons. And so we pick it up in Genesis 48 and verse 3. Look at this. It says, And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. Let me skip down. Go to verse 13. And Joseph took them both, that is Ephraim, in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and he brought them near to him. And Israel stretched out his hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all of my my life long to this day. Love that. The angel 
who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Skip down to verse 20. So he blessed them that day saying, by you Israel will pronounce blessing saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. I love this this story of Ephraim and Manasseh, the grandsons coming. And if you, if you were the sensitive reader will note that what Jacob is doing with his grandsons is he's adopting them and he's making his grandsons his sons. That's what he just did. He said, you are no longer my grandsons. Now you're my sons like Simeon and Reuben were. You are now my sons. You are adopted into my family as a son. Uh, Adoption as as a position. It's it's a really remarkable passage. And then we see that what he says is he says that the younger son shall be blessed with the grace of this covenant over the older son, that the older son would serve the younger son, which is a big theme in Genesis. You all know this, right? God chooses Isaac over Ishmael. God, God chooses Jacob over Esau. God always chooses the younger over the older because from a human perspective, we think that blessing comes through works. We think that blessing comes through our own achievement when in fact, blessing comes by grace to those who are not deserving. All of us are like the younger sons and not the older sons in terms of needing the grace of God to be blessed by God. And then you see this powerful reality that, you know, Joseph's more traditional. You know, he's bringing, he's bringing his older son in his right hand. And he's bringing his younger son in his, in his left hand for Jacob to bless them. And Jacob crosses his hands. He takes his right hand to the left hand of Joseph. And he takes his left hand, the weaker hand, and he puts it on the older son. And it says he crosses his hands. And isn't it true that grace comes to us by a cross? You're like, now, come on now. Come on now. You, you, you're working too hard at trying to get to the cross of Jesus. Let's see what you're doing there. It's not going to work. You're being too clever with the text. And it's true. I don't think, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that Jacob has an idea of the cross or the death or crucifixion of Jesus. But what Jacob does understand is that grace comes through the cross that somebody gets what they don't deserve. At the cost of somebody getting what they don't deserve. That somebody loses their rights... Are you all tracking with me? Somebody loses their rights to give those rights to somebody who hasn't earned those rights. Jacob might not have seen the crucifixion or the cross. He might not have had a cross around his neck. But he understood that grace comes through the cross of somebody getting what they don't deserve to give somebody what they don't deserve. But, and they haven't earned the blessing. And that is substitution. That is the cross that Jesus, when he died on the cross, it wasn't just he died on a cross. It was what he was doing. What he was doing was taking what you and I earned to give us what we've not earned, which is salvation and righteousness. This is an amazing message of grace, isn't it? That's how adoption into God's family works. It's by grace. That's how blessing from God comes. It's by grace. And it all comes through, as we know, the fulfillment of that promise is Jesus. It all comes through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 
Verse 3 says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Our blessings from God come by grace through Christ, and we are adopted into the family. Now, we ask ourselves, okay, that's blessing of grace, but what is, in light of that, what is the mission of receiving this grace? Why on earth does anybody receive grace through Christ, through the cross of grace? Well, the simple answer is to be fruitful and multiply. You see it repeated several times. Verse 4, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply. Verse 16, let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And then verse 20, by you, Israel, will pronounce blessings. In other words, here's the thing. The mission of receiving grace, the mission of receiving this incomprehensible, incomparable blessing from God in Jesus Christ is multiplication. Real blessing comes when we begin to understand my job is to take the message of Christ and the gospel and to make sure that it's being shared and multiplied in the midst of the earth. God is a God of multiplication. Everything God does in his people's life is for the purpose of mission. Come and see, as we talked about last week. Come and see this blessing of grace. Go and tell. Go and share. Heal the world of its separation from God. No one has to have a relationship with God where God is a distant, distant acquaintance. Can I get an amen? I heard that in a movie this weekend. God doesn't have to be a distant acquaintance to anybody. Why? Because we have the message of healing and medicine that can bring people into a relationship with God where they realize that God is with them in all times, that God will be with them, that we are the fulfillment as Christians of all the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God said to Abraham, you'll be as numerous as the stars. Who are the stars? You and me. We become children of Abraham the moment we believe in Jesus. And the moment we share Jesus with other people as a community, as a people, as, as even followers of Jesus, and other people believe in Jesus, they become a star. And so it goes throughout the whole world so that people can leave darkness and come to the light, so that people can leave this separation from God and be reconciled. Listen, you want to ask yourself, I want blessing. I want to seek and rejoice. I want to aim at blessing. Here's how you aim at blessing. God, how can I multiply this message of grace and forgiveness that you've given to me? God, how can I share it? How can I multiply it? Make me a source of that multiplication that you are doing in this world. And that, beloved, let me tell you something. That is both being blessed and being a blessing. I've still got time to finish this up. I cannot believe it. Jacob not only blesses Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh with this amazing blessing, but when he comes to Genesis 49, he blesses all the 12 sons. Some, he gives an anti-blessing. Others, he gives the blessing, right? Simeon and Reuben, they don't get the blessing. They get the anti-blessing. But the rest get a blessing of some sort. Now, I'm not going to go through... You can rejoice that I'm not going to go through all 12 of these blessings, only to say this, that these 12 sons are the future 12 tribes of Israel. And what Jacob is doing is Jacob is prophesying what the tribes will be like based on the characteristics of the son. 
In other words, the future 12 tribes of Israel that you read about all throughout the Old Testament, they become characteristic of the original son of the tribe. And so Jacob prophesies what these tribes will be. By the way, that is a reminder that you and I are inevitably in contact with our past, our descendants, aren't we? That we take on the characteristics of our ancestors, don't we? We take on some of the good characteristics, some of the bad characteristics, right? I was, I was just telling Sherry the other day, man, I praise God because I'm, 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 I'm like my dad. He's such a good man, and uh, he showed me how to be a good husband to my mama, and he showed me, um, he, he talked about God to me, which I really appreciate that he talked to God uh, to me about that. But you know, he also had weaknesses, and I have the same weak. It's like I've got the same strengths and same weaknesses as this man that came before me. And inevitably, we're all contact, contacted with Adam and Eve. We've all inherited a sinful nature. And that passes on from generation to generation throughout humanity. What is wrong with the world? The world has fallen through original sin. But ultimately, what Jacob does is he blesses these, and he, he demonstrates and prophesies that these tribes are going to become like the sons. But there's one son in the middle that becomes most significant, and that's the blessing of Judah. And let me read that to you really quick, and then I'll finish up with my last point today. Genesis 49 and verse 10. It says this, uh, Jacob, he's blessing them, and he says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Out of all the prophecies of all the sons, this is the most significant. Because this prophesies two things that happen in the Bible. Number one, it prophesies the coming of King David. Far before King David comes. This great king who will be the king of Israel. And that David came through the line of Judah. But ultimately, the ultimate fulfillment is, of course, Jesus Christ. In fact, in Revelation chapter 5, in verse 5, it says that Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy of a coming king. Who with you know, and there's the picture of blood and, and all of the rest of it. And it says here in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, it says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And so, of course, you're like, well, yeah. I mean, we've talked about that before. You're like, yeah, I mean, Jesus and Judah and the scepter and the kingdom and the king and he come and Jesus fulfilled all that and he died and he is the lamb who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's really wonderful. But here's the emphasis of the blessing of Jacob over Judah. And here's what he's emphasizing. He's emphasizing the end of the world. He's emphasizing the kingdom when it comes. He says, all the peoples will bow down in obedience. All the peoples will come and they will confess with their mouth. They will confess with their tongues that Jesus is Lord. All will bow the knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In other words, Jacob is taking us beyond the cross to the end of the world when Jesus will come in all of the full consummation of the coming kingdom of God. And the reason why that's important is because of the expectation of blessing. And here should be your expectation of blessing. 
You already have the blessing of God in Jesus Christ, but not yet in full. You've just begun to experience in your relationship with Jesus the healing power, the Holy Spirit, the community, but you're not yet fully in the blessing of God and Jesus Christ, which will be fulfilled when Jesus comes back and gives us the kingdom, which, by the way, that's kind of good news because we need to manage our expectation of blessing. I'm already blessed, but not yet. I'm already forgiven, but I'm not yet totally saved in terms of being delivered from sin. I'm already delivered from sicknesses, but not all my physical sicknesses. You see, we have an already not yet perspective. And the reason why that's important is because things are going to go bad for us every now and then as Christians, aren't they? Because we live in a fallen, broken world. Sometimes we're going to stumble. Sometimes we're going to fall. Sometimes we're going to experience betrayal. Sometimes friends are going to let us down. Sometimes things are going to happen to us. We're going to go through spiritual warfare constantly. We are involved in a war of intense fury, aren't we? And there's tension and conflict and there's a battle going on, raging for your soul and your mind and you're walking in Christ. And you're so blessed because you have the Holy Spirit and you have resources from God and Scripture. But let me tell you something. We are not quite yet there when one day all of that other stuff will be removed and we'll receive the full blessing of God and Jesus Christ. And when you are beginning to live in an already not yet frame of mind, You can manage your contentment. You can manage how you respond to adverse circumstances. And you can say, I'm blessed because I have peace with God. But man, I'm looking forward to the day when I won't have all this conflict anymore. (laughs) I'm looking forward to the day when there won't be the war and the battle. That's a blessed person. And to seek and to rejoice and to aim at God's blessing is to live in that already not yet frame of mind. Let me pray as we finish out our service.